Hey, Peak Season Podcast, Mark Allen here, co-host and founder of the Mountain Bureau. I wanted to steal the mic for a hot minute to brag about our next guest, Aaron Smart. Aaron is a longtime colleague and homie, native to the Pacific Northwest, and I've really enjoyed learning of Aaron's latest personal or professional achievements as a skier, guide, alpinist, rock climber. She thrives in the mountains. She has a lifetime of achievements despite being relatively young, and now she's based in Le Grave, France as an American expat and works full-time as an IFMGA guide. She's arguably one of the most positive people on the planet and beholds a magnetic personality that draws us all in. I've had many opportunities to work with her as a professional, uh, Norway in the Lofoten Ski Lodge and in the North Cascades, and I've observed her cross through a multitude of barriers with positive dedication and a visceral passion for the mountain craft. You can read about her epic missions via the several articles she's published as a contributing author to the Alpinist and Backcountry magazine, like her expedition to University Peak uh, to ski in the Wrangell St. Elias, or her latest 350-kilometer ski traverse through the highest peaks in Sweden. She is climbing in Chamonix, steep skiing in the Alps, yeah, she's 100% badass and does it all. Don't feel bad. She's genuinely stoked to inspire you and naturally is an ambassador for Scott, Cast, Feathered Friends, Hilleberg, and can often be found teaching techniques of steep skiing to her clients in her camps in Le Grave, France. Aaron wrote a little ditty in 2017 for the AMGA Bulletin, and she says, The mountains do not care that I'm female, and I often forget that I'm a minority when I'm in the field. If you have a perceived limitation of yourself, figure out if you can train past it, and remember, they're only as real as you make them. Those are solid words, Erin Smart, and I'm ultra pumped to have her join the Peak Season podcast. I hope you get a glimpse of why we like this human so much. Stephen Gregory, take us away. What's happening, everybody? Hey, I just want to give you a little context. We're coming into this interview right when Erin and I are talking about our trip to University Peak. Otherwise, I'll catch you all at the end of this thing. Diving into your resume a little bit, um, I was looking at a route you did with Sheldon Kerr and on University Peak. Um, for those that have seen a photo of it, it's pretty hard to not want to ski it. And uh, yeah, I wanted to dive a little bit into that trip. And uh, that was a trip that was all women's trip, right? A few years back? Um, that was in 2014 uh, with, it was really Sheldon's project. Okay, copy. What was... Uh, what was something that was particularly difficult about that trip? It doesn't come into condition every season. And even if it does, it's one of those mountains that you really have to be up there kind of ready 
to hit it right when it's good, or you're just the luckiest person out there and you time your expedition perfectly. <laughs> right. I know. We all wish we had that superpower, didn't we? Was Was there anything you learned on that trip that you still apply when you go into the mountains today? Um... There are. You know, that trip was really kind of my first trip of, uh, you know, make, making a base camp on a glacier and then looking around and basically skiing whatever looks cool and fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. Was this your best adventure? You know, for me, some of my best adventures have been some of my first descents in the Cascades. I just love that exploration of the mountains of, I mean, maybe it'd have been skied before, but you know, you just, you don't know. And you, you go and you explore. And, um, I really like the imagination aspect of, of finding those cool ski lines in the mountains. Yeah. I mean, it, there's something cool about finding something that I, I don't know. It's so cliche. I feel like all we talk about in, in media these days are like the cool thing that no one had ever done, but there is something special about it. In, in the Cascades, is there anything that was like a highlight for you? In the Cascades? Um, I think number one was the C1 Coolar that I skied with Kurt Hicks and Forrest McBrien. Hey, we know Kurt over here. Forrest, We're pretty awesome. sure that was the first descent. Uh, we called it the C1 because it's off of Backbone Ridge. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. It was like C1, like in the back of your neck. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was just a beautiful line. And we weren't really sure if it was going to go. We had a couple of Skirlock photos and and it was like, it was just hero powder. <laughs> but this beautiful, unreal Kular. I can't remember how many feet. That was a while ago. Um, that was at least a 2,000 foot cooler maybe oh, a bit more awesome. sizable sizable run there is it a pretty narrow shot or is it a little wider what else you got it's pretty narrow in the top and then it opens up to this wide field and then it narrows again at the bottom that's rad well we're gonna keep talking cascades since we're on the tangent already um in the cascades is there anything else that was like man soft place in my heart for this I mean, honestly, one of my favorite mountains in the world, and, you know, it's not super extreme ski, but I love skiing Mount Shuxon. You know, some of the cooler lines on the front face, and, I mean, Shuxon's, Shuxon's just, yeah. And I think that was one of my first big ski mountaineering peaks that I ever skied with my older brother, who's also a mountain guide. Oh, yeah, Miles. That's awesome. Have you skied anything on like the ski area side, Northwest Kuar or anything like that? You know, I haven't. I looked at it for years because I used to ski patrol at Baker. No way. Yeah, I was on the volunteer patrol. But so every other weekend yeah. I had one day. So I had my free ski pass when I went to college in Bellingham. <laughs> oh, nice. When were you on the volunteer patrol? Seven and eight, 2007 and eight. Yeah, okay. That's a, just a touch after my time there. I was there like early 2000s, oh, around when I was in high school, skiing, you know, snowboarding Baker all the time. And God, it's just like shucks and stares you right in the face, Larrabee, the Pleiades, so much motivation to go back and ski that stuff. I'm dying to do that. Hopefully, hopefully next year. That's still on my list. <laughs> awesome. Let's team up and do that because that's going to be rad. 
Yeah, there'll be a lot more splitboard mountaineering in, in my upcoming seasons. I have a bunch of exams coming up, and I genuinely do love it. I, I actually used to do it way more than I alpine climbed or skied. I just kind of went down this like six or seven year rabbit hole of just loving rock climbing profusely and moving to the desert and making my whole life here. But, you know, I can definitely have uh, rekindle that fire, and, and the Northwest is just so awesome. It's... Uh, it's, I don't know, the Yosemite for ski mountaineering in the Northwest to speak in, in climber terms. It's just so special. And I think the Cascades, I think to truly appreciate it, you have to live there, you know, so that you can get those perfect windows of, I mean, yes, some of my better ski days were in the heart of the winter when you do get those magic high pressures with perfect powder yeah i mean you can ski just about everything i mean i'm exaggerating not everything no but yeah i i get it you know the years that i lived in the northwest for winters you know february you always get a bit of that that high pressure uh, early to mid month and you can totally get out and do a lot of rad stuff and yeah, I mean, that's why the Northwest is so special. You know, it's like people from Colorado are like, whoa, 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 you can ski in the midwinter time, like in the backcountry, and it's reasonable. And you're like, absolutely, that's why we live here. But I mean, for for us, that's something uh, at least I took for granted living in the Northwest. And uh, I can't speak for you on that. But it's, it's such a cool place for so many reasons, especially the ski mountaineering. But I mean, you've taken it to the, the next logical step, or it would be La Grave, which is a, a total mecca for steep skiing as well. Or, or I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm overstating it. Would you agree? I mean, the reason I moved here is for the skiing like for the terrain for the access to just incredible yeah steep skiing ski mountaineering but then there's so much more too i mean it's you know la grave is so well known for extreme skiing and steep skiing um i think what's been really cool now living here full-time is i've also discovered that so la grave is right on the edge of a national park here in france it's called les écrans Les Ecrans is kind of like the Cascades, but with refuges. Huh, that's awesome. I don't know what I feel about with the Cascades, but I'd, I'd use them there. You know, there's a lot less people than, say, Chamonix or Mott. Um, the routes are a lot less crowded. It's also like the Cascades in the sense that there are these outcroppings of unbelievable rock quality, you know, these granite spires that are just perfect rock. And then there's also sections like the Cascades where the rock is less than perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. I see you've sampled some of these portions of the casca- Cascades as well. Well, I mean, it, it sounds awesome. It sounds like a lot of what I like about the Cascades. The similar feeling, um, but you get a much lighter backpack. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to think of just for a, nope, I'll take it. I'll take a lighter backpack pretty much every time. But I do want to get back into La Grave and, and a little bit about you there. How long have you been there? Um, so I've been living here full time, right, uh, basically since October of 2016. Because I, uh, I passed my last exam, the Alpine exam, in September of 2016. And I moved here right after that. Okay, <laughs> nice. And I've been here full time since then. But before then, um, I've been in France for longer than that. Um, my first season here in La Grave was in 2004, when I was 17. Oh, wow. 
So I graduated high school a year early. So I did the Running Start program in Washington State. Oh, that's awesome. I also did the Running Start program in Washington. It was a super cool opportunity for high school folk to get college credit. Felt like I did a lot of snowboarding that during that time, but it was totally rad. And then my brother, Miles, was working as an aspirant guide here in the Grave when American guides could still work in Europe as aspirants. Okay, a few years back. And uh, I convinced my parents, I was like, if I save up enough money lifeguarding, can I go... Can I go ski in La Grave with Miles for a season? And uh, they said yes. Awesome. <laughs> I think they, I don't know if they weren't sure if I was going to earn enough money to <laughs> pay for a winter ski bumming or what. But, uh, and then I bought my ticket. My mom was like, oh no. <laughs> no. I bet she was. Yeah, for sure. And then I had a couple other winter seasons here throughout college. I took winter quarters off uh, for two seasons. Oh, nice. Um, and then I also lived in Chamonix for a handful of years, kind of off and on. Um, but never really full-time because I couldn't work as a mountain guide in Europe. So, um, But basically since 2004, uh, lots of winter seasons, in, and then since 2016, year-round. Nice. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a minute here and kind of zoom back to your U-Peak trip. That was an all-ladies trip, is that right, with Sheldon, Lindsay? Oh, help me with the crew on that one. Yeah, so it was uh, Sheldon and uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Mann, and then uh, Crystal Wright, and Crystal was there as sort of the photographer-filmer. Okay, nice. Uh, In general, do you find trips with all women on them to be coming together naturally? Um, Is this something that you're actively seeking out? Um, Is there, there anything that you find particularly empowering with that. And and I really don't mean this to come from my like outside big dumb guy. I don't get it perspective. It's just the the only one I have. Um, For me, it's always just been something that came together naturally, especially university peak. Um, Sheldon and I, we met actually in our level three avalanche exam back when it was the level three avalanche exam uh, in 2010. We became instant friends and, you know, we, we did a bunch of skiing and other mountain things together and I just love Sheldon. I miss her. <laughs> yeah, Sheldon. Um, Big shout out to Sheldon here from the show. And, uh, yeah, she, I mean, it was really her project and then I got invited and I was like, heck yeah, I want to go ski university with you. Yeah. And so it was sort of Sheldon's um, idea to put together a project and, you know, I think for her, it was to really to emphasize that, to be like an all-women's ski trip. Got it. Um, for me, at that time, it was more just like, oh, it's just a ski trip with friends. Let's do this. <laughs> okay, totally. Yeah. The Peak Season Podcast is a Mountain Bureau production. peak season it's mark allen taking advantage of the intermission to tell you about what we have available for you rock climbers you might be a gym climber looking to spread your wings this season you may be a well steeped v20 sendbot but today there are so many climbers out there with strong movement skills yet find themselves held back by the technical systems allowing you to climb efficiently You might be thinking, look, I can climb. I just don't know all the systems. Well, we can guide you and your crew 
uh, for the weekend or take you on a longer ascent in the Cascades. Look at our catalog at mountainbureau.com. We offer cragging, multi-pitch climbing, and several Pacific Northwest venues, the Cascade Mountains, Smith Rock, Moabs, and the Alps. Now, we're also not tone deaf, and we recognize the do-it-yourself climbing phenomenon is pretty strong in the Pacific Northwest. Most of you have learned from friend, and the days of old, crusty climbing mentors seem to have been replaced by beta websites, YouTube videos, and rock climbing gyms. All of that is well and good and is getting you better access to climbing, but it will not serve you or the sport well and could lead to scary near misses or unplanned self-inflicted destruction. There's so much BS out there. There's so much lore about the correct method and perceived dangers of climbing. We have filtered out the noise. We intentionally upload you to the next skill level with a modern up-to-date system and equipment and our course will sharpen your skills allowing you to climb smarter, faster, and safer. We can mentor you in your progression. That's our happy place. In every skill level we have a multitude of rock climbing courses options available in two to one day modular packages in a variety of venues in the Northwest. Gym to Crag, Intro to Sport Climbing, Intro to Leading, Rescue Courses, Multi-Pitch Courses, Big Wall Climbing, Alpine Efficiency. We have a ton of experienced based knowledge and we're excited to share with you and your partners. Go to themountainbureau.com, scroll down to Rock Climbing Icon, and let's get you on the fast track to learning good habits and culture so that you can start ticking off your list of rock climbing objectives and take it to the T-O-P. Awesome. Well, on the topic, you also wrote a really, really awesome article in Alpinist 71, and there was a quote that I want to pull from there um, that really struck a chord with me, and uh, it is from uh, a 1911 American mountaineer, Annie Smith Peck, was quoted in the New York Times saying, a woman who has done good work in the scholastic world doesn't like to be called a good woman scholar. Call her a good scholar and let it go at that. I have climbed 1,500 feet higher than any man in the United States. Don't call me a woman climber. And, and I want to tell you why I picked that quote. That, that quote for me sums up a, a feeling that I have uh, when I'm working. Of, I don't want to say female guide. I, I don't know how to, ju- to put myself in the position or truly understand uh, even what I'm saying, and, and I'm of the demographic that likely screws it up the most, um, and I don't mean to speak for my entire demographic, but I think you know what I'm getting at. And what is, uh, for you, I, I don't want you to speak on behalf of all women guides of all time, but for you, what is like a, a preferred way to unpack that? How, what's a, a better way for me to address it? Uh, I don't know, Aaron, how, how do I not screw it up? So that is such a great question, Stefan. Uh, it's so funny because I kind of feel the same way of how you just described in the sense that 
I prefer to be called a mountain guide. I, I take that quote of Annie Smith Peck. She wrote that in the New York Times, or she was quoted in the New York Times, uh, I think it was in 1910, with that quote. Yeah. And I feel like it, it really resonates with me. Like, like I was, I remember the first time I read that, I was like, yes. <laughs> like, I just, I, you know, I've, um, the exams are the same. The courses are the same. In the end, the mountains don't care if you're a male or female. And I'm just a mountain guide. I happen to also be a woman, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but it's sort of like, oh, are you going to your female doctor or your female lawyer? Or Yep, yeah, exactly. For me, it just has this weird connotation. However, um, I am also aware, to, aware of sort of the fact that um, we are still the minority in mountain guiding. And I think there are a lot of females who really do want to emphasize the fact and I also see no problem with that, you know, and I think it's more of an opinion. But I also like actually it's interesting because that Alpinist article, the editors definitely pushed me in the sense of, you know, I think I think my original article before, you know, the many, many rounds of edits was probably a bit more because I was like, I just want to tell my story of how I became a mountain guide. And in the end, I just wanted to add that quote of, yeah, like it's it's basically the same it's exactly the same the mountains don't care they are the great equalizer um and we're all just in the playground and we have to play by the same rules and yeah you know it's like just because i'm a woman the mountains don't care they can throw a rock down on me or avalanche or and we all have to make good decisions but the editors they definitely were like well like we really want to kind of push the female thing a little more and it was interesting because we kind of had a lot of back and forth on that and huh. i okay. actually in writing that was like maybe i'm you know really privileged in the sense that i grew up in a family with two older brothers but we were all treated super equally um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, upper middle class, like I had a ton of opportunities, um, that were, you know, yeah, I worked super hard, but I also was in a position where it was easier to make those things happen for myself. Um, and so it's interesting cause like, sure. I prefer to be called just a mountain guide. You know, I really, for me, that's what I like, but I think there's a lot of people who prefer, to kind of highlight the fact and I also don't see a problem with that and it's you know I think it's this interesting conversation to have um but uh, to answer your question is I don't know <laughs> I don't know what the answer is <laughs> no no nor do I expect you to speak on behalf of the the guiding community that uh, is female um, nor nor have an answer for me is more just a, a topic I wanted to dive into and um, I, I end up working in the field with uh, a variety of colleagues and co-workers that are either younger or older um, of different demographics sometimes they are female and uh, I always I've always appreciated the times where the lead guide um, reached out to me and introducing me to the group and saying, hey, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but man, Stefan, he's really good at XYZ and he's going to take really good care of you today. Um, I always make a huge effort to, to pay that forward and do that as well, especially in instances where um, 
maybe it seems like the the male guide is the lead guide and the female female guide is the co-guide but i don't think that should be the case so i I try and find opportunities to do that and i I hope that's appropriate I, i i think it is yeah i think um i mean so i worked in i started mountain guiding in 2010 and uh yeah the first six years it was the majority of my work uh was in the cascades and then i had a couple seasons in lofoten as well and that was all before i finished uh the ifmj license and i remember yeah when i started mountain guiding it was sort of i didn't even i mean it sounds so naive too and i was like i didn't even think about it You know, I was there for the mountains. I was there for the job that I loved. Um, And I, I think a lot of it too is I got, I got lucky in that the people I had the opportunity, you know, coworkers I worked with, um, clients, uh, you know, my AMGA instructors and examiners, everyone I ever had in those experiences were super respectful and just you know, generally good human beings. (laughs) And I think similar kind of back to, you know, talking about the quote and just wanting to be called a mountain guide. For me, it was just, yeah, you know, good, good people and treating each other with respect and same way, like if I were a lead guide and I was introducing you, I would try and brag about your resume, you know? (laughs) Uh, I would greatly appreciate that as I, as I always do when people do that, but well, awesome. Thanks for, thanks for taking that dive with me there. It's nice to get to talk to someone uh, working at a a level that I would like to be working at and uh, having a different experience in the same profession. Um, It's, we work so autonomous, we work so autonomously as guides and uh, it's rare sometimes that we get to have these conversations of of topics that would appear to be obvious but um yeah it's just nice to be like okay yeah i mean it sounds so silly but um just being nice and don't be a jerk you know or really take you through so many so many avenues in your life and i also don't want to discredit anyone who's had different experiences as us or less than favorable ones i know there are people that have had more challenging experiences than I. And so I also, you know, I don't want to disrespect that. But for me, it's more just, um, you know, sometimes there's just weird people in this world that don't, you know, open their eyes or treat people with respect. And and it's, it's hard, but, you know, you just got to keep pushing forward and do your best. And I think for me, like, mountain guiding, you just, yeah, you, you just keep going with your skill set, make yourself the best as possible. And then the respect usually comes with that, you know? Amen. Well, well said, Aaron. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take another right turn here and we're going to start talking a little bit, um, more recently. Uh, you spent some time up, uh, above the Arctic circle or near the Arctic circle. Is that right? Yeah, I was above the Arctic circle for, for a little bit there. <laughs> Very cool. This And this was a ski trip. How long was this trip you had? Um, so in total, I was gone from Le Grave for six weeks, uh, but the expedition, we had uh, 26 movement days. Well, we had three rest days in there, but we were out in the field for 26 days. Awesome. Yeah. 
uh, and there was long one. Yeah, and it was all in Sweden. And it was interesting, uh, this project, so with Jackie Paso, we we had actually been trying to put together a trip um, for quite a few years. You know, life happens and schedules and timing. And so we finally kind of had a big Alaska trip in the works, um, which I, I won't tell you the details about to keep it. <laughs> Hopefully it's still a possibility someday. Um but uh with covid and we actually had some like permitting issues and it was there were just so many unknowns and Jackie lives in Sweden I live in France you know travel right now with the pandemic has been just there's been so many unknowns for so many things but travel has been pretty tricky and then uh we actually had a plan B of doing a big traverse here in Les Écrans that I've been brainstorming for a handful of years. Um Awesome. But even that was pretty unsure because last March when France went into confinement, we were confined confined. Like I know it's been rough in the US too, but in France we couldn't leave our houses without a piece of paper signed. I could only have a one kilometer circumference of exercise per day for one oh, hour. Wow. So I did a lot of gardening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, it was pretty, it was super strict. And anyways, during the confinement, they ended up, you know, quote unquote, closing the mountains in France because they didn't want to overload the hospitals. And uh, anyway, so for this spring, we were worried because, you know, with all the the numbers going back up, it was like, wow, they might totally confine the country again and maybe they'll close the mountains again. So then we went to plan C, <laughs> which was Sweden, which uh, during this pandemic, Sweden, for better or worse, has actually remained fairly open. They have a pretty low density of population, so it's been okay for them. Uh, okay. And they never closed the mountains. So it was like, okay, we can for sure go do something cool. <laughs> right. Yep. Jackie had kind of this idea of like, well, there's a few national parks. We were looking at some ski ideas. And there's 12 peaks up there that are above 2,000 meters. Oh, wow. Awesome. And uh, we wanted to link them all up. So, yeah, over 26 days, 450 kilometers, pulling our polkas with all our equipment and food and and we were making a film, so also film gear. Those are some heavy sleds. <laughs> uh, oh, it's huge. Yeah. We ended up climbing all 12 peaks, but we could only ski nine of them because we had some pretty tricky avalanche conditions. And so we ended up having to more alpine climb on the ridges for a few <clears throat> of the peaks. Okay. And then I'm sure the film is in editing and post right now. Is there a slated timeline or rough ETA on uh, when they're going to have that out? It's kind of, it's crazy because I know, well, I don't know. It's a total different skill set. I've done little mini movies. <laughs> I can only imagine how much work those guys are doing right now. Um, and I think they're going to try to get the film ready in time to submit to film festivals for this autumn. Oh, wow. Coming up super quick. And, and is this film a, a Scott ski film? Yeah. Scott Very was our cool. main supporter. and Yeah. That's awesome. And you've been with Scott for a little bit at this point. How long have you been affiliated with those folks? I've been with Scott for two years now. It's funny, you know... 
when they approached me, I wasn't, um, I'd actually never skied, Scott skis. I was pretty familiar with their bikes and ski poles and goggles. And, um, I was like, oh, actually, I've never even really thought about Scott skis. I was, I don't know if it's just like a Northwest thing. It wasn't really a, a ski brand that I grew up seeing. And, um, I, I have just been in love with their skis these last few seasons and i'm not just saying that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean they're a legendary company they've been making sticks for a long time so i i totally believe you yeah yeah well it, we're, we're winding down here i could talk to you forever i have way more questions and, and and i'm bummed i didn't get so much into the cascade first descents as i wanted to but we'll have you back we'll, we'll get you some more there but i want to talk a little bit about lofoten yeah and uh what would it take if I wanted to go to Lofoten this coming season? What do I need to be prepared for? Uh, it's like skiing near the ocean or the the, the sea. What is it? Get, fill me in here. I love Lofoten. Um, Lofoten was, I mean, it's funny when I was thinking about where I wanted to end up, you know, once I finished my IFMGA license, there have been a few places in this planet that I've visited and have spent some time that have really immediately felt like home and have been super inspiring for whether, you know, skiing, climbing, what have you. And for sure, it's like Cascades, La Grave, and Lofoten. <laughs> like, Lofoten's pretty special. Uh, yeah, so the peaks, they rise right out of the ocean there. And uh, they're pretty dramatic because they, they rise up quite steeply. And you drive mostly for driving to the trailheads. Most people think of Lofoten and skiing in Norway as skiing off of the boats. But yeah, you're also in lodges um, as well, and then you can dry your kit out, which is pretty nice. Uh, what are like approach times like, drive times? Zero minutes to an hour or so. And it's a bit like Thompson Pass in Alaska. You park and you start ski touring okay. from the car. Yeah, nice little AK reference. And a lot of the peaks, you know, in the area that I was based in, there's a lot of between seven and 800 meter peaks. And then the highest is just over a thousand. I can't remember oh, exactly, awesome. like 1100 or something like that. These are in meters. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And in a single week, like let's say you go to Lofoten for a week, what I would say is be prepared for every condition of weather and snow. Oh uh, yes. Uh, but you make the best of it. You know, some days you wake up and you're gonna have an amazing powder day, blue, blue skies all day. Um, or in that same day, you could have blue skies, perfect powder, and then it could start, you know, gale force winds <laughs> 10 minutes later, <laughs> or then some like, you know, big oh. clouds moving in. We used to say it's like the 10 minute low photon wait. If you don't like the weather, just wait 10 minutes. Because <laughs> it's basically, it's pretty, pretty dramatic how quickly it changes. It's just phenomenal. I recommend everybody to go ski there. It is so fun. <laughs> and then if it's a really bad weather day, uh, there's also, you can try surfing. <laughs> no way. Wow. Okay. And then, so from surfing, there's also like ice climbing there too, right? There is some ice climbing and there's actually, there's a lot of ice climbs that haven't been discovered yet. Oh, Aaron, we can't go. Oh, Chris Wright's so bummed right now. He just, all of his first descents are gone. <laughs> there's no alpine climbing. Nope. <laughs> no, no, no alpine climbing around these parts. But in, in all seriousness, and to kind of to wind us down here, uh, it, it really sounds like it's going good for you, Aaron. It's um, good to hear that 
that Lagrave Street in UL, and um, yeah, hopefully you get to come back back this way soon and and chase some more ski lines uh, with me here in the coming season. And um, man, we could do you know a whole episode about your writing and and more uh, deeper dive into your resume and uh, maybe even more about growing up. But uh, you know, I'm gonna let you go for the evening. But it's just been a, a total privilege and an honor to have you on the show. Uh, your resume and name has been something that I've always looked up to growing up in the Northwest and uh, having mutual friends and, and taking courses together. So really, it's just thank you for taking the time this evening to, to speak with me. Oh, Stefan, that was so nice. Thank you so much. Well, it was really such a pleasure and I was honored to uh, to be featured. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No worries. Of course, Aaron. And uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. All right, folks, episode two in the bag. We did it. Aaron Smart and hey, Mark Allen jumped in on this one. Awesome to have Mark in the show. We're going to have more of that with an upcoming episode with Brian Birdo. And I cannot not tell you that today's music, of course, is brought to you by DJ Mantis and intro brought to you by the Black Swedes. Please, please, please check them out. Bandcamp, Spotify, probably iTunes, all the places that you get music these days. And I'm just about to head up north for my Pacific Northwest guide season. Looking forward to that. I think I'll be seeing a bunch of y'all up there pretty soon. I'm there July through September this year. And man, shoot, here we go. Mountain season. Me, you, we'll see y'all soon. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>